Well, good morning. And welcome to Valley Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here this morning. Let's go ahead and uh, pray with me and for me this morning. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we're going to be digging in. We've finished with Colossians, and now we're going to be digging into Psalm 119. Now, I want to give a little preface before we start this morning. Um, Psalm 119 was written um, just a little while after, well, I don't know, a little while, but uh, soon after the Babylonian exile. It's one of about nine acrostic poems that are in the Psalms. It has 176 verses. They're divided into 22 stanzas. Each one of those stanzas uh, is set aside or, or, or associated with one, uh, each of the letters, each of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So the, the thing that makes it interesting is that each one of those stanzas, those eight lines in the stanza, all begin with that Hebrew letter. We don't see that when we read it in English. But if we were looking at it in Hebrew... Um, we would see that each one of those lines, the first one is Alep or Alep, the second one is Bayet, the third one is Gimel. Each one of those lines in those eight stanzas after that letter would start with that letter. So it's an acrostic poem, okay? Um, th- like I said, there are nine of them. This thing is all about the Word of God. In 171 of the 176 verses, it talks about the Word of God. And it gives, uh, it gives. Oh, I don't know. There's, there's a bunch of different, uh, bunch of different references, uh, a bunch of different words that are used for the word of God. As I read through the first time through here, hear those words, and hear how it switches back and forth between the writer of the psalm and God. How the, it's almost like a conversation, a, a plea sometimes, and then some assurances in there too. I'm going to start with Psalm 119, verse 1. And it's pronounced Alip, or Alep. So blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. The next eight. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the ways that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Do good to your servant and I will live. I will obey your word. 
Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on the earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would just open our hearts to to an understanding of your word. Father God, we are hungry for you. And we're hungry for learning about you through this word. Father, I pray that you will give us clear minds and open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, like I said, this is uh, an acrostic psalm, and uh, we see these we see these words. This is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible. I don't think that's a mistake. God doesn't do stuff by mistake. This this is this shows God is trying to tell us the importance of His Word and His commands. If you look at this um, and, and you look down through these passages, you can see according to the law, keep His statutes. Walk in his ways, your precepts, uh, your decrees, your commands, your righteous laws, your decrees, again and again, over and over and over. All of these different words for God's word, for God's word. And by spending as much time as God is here on these words, he's showing us that this is important. This is important. Um, it's not an accident. This, this is the biggest chapter uh, in, the, in the book. Who wrote it? Uh, There's some academic contention about who wrote it. Some say David, some say Ezra. It's written as a repetitive meditation on the beauty of God's word and how it helps us to stay pure and grow in faith. Hebrew children used to be required, I don't know if they still are, but they were required to memorize this. Now, we look at it today and go, 176 verses? Can I memorize that? Well, if we, we look at it in English, we don't see the beauty of the acrostic poetry here. If we looked at it in Hebrew and we were a Hebrew child looking at this, we would go, well, those first eight lines all start with Alip. Those next eight lines start with Bayit. Because it's an acrostic in Hebrew, it would have been easier for them to memorize. Now, I know the capacity for children to memorize verse. Trust me. As a fourth grade teacher, I had them memorize scripture verses throughout the whole year. And I can't tell you the the panic look on their faces on that Monday morning when I showed them 1 Corinthians 13, all 13 verses. And we're going to memorize that? It's so much. And, And a couple of weeks later, it would take them a little while, they would have it memorized. And then they'd get to stand up in chapel and recite it as a class in chapel. So children, I think sometimes we set the bar too low for them. They have the capacity. We need to, we need to set the bar high. Not all of them may hit it all the time. I'm one of those kids. I think I ate too many lead paint chips when I was a kid. You know, I don't memorize stuff very well. That's why I'm not an act. I can, I can memorize songs. I don't know why God gifted me that way. But I don't memorize lines and, and scripture verses and stuff like that. And it's not something I'm really good at. I have to have, you know, Google and, you know, digital Bibles. And, and my, my, I have about 
well, I can't even tell you how many Bibles they have. I haven't counted them recently, but we probably have 20 Bibles in our house, not counting the 52 different digital Bibles they have on my computer. You got all kinds of helps along the way with books about how to find stuff in the Bible, you know, uh, and, and you don't need all, even all that stuff anymore. You get on there, www.google.com, and you can find, you know, oh, I want to, I'm having a bad day. I'm, you know, this happened in my life, that happened in my life. You can Google it. You know, give me a scripture verse that talks about this. It's out there. It's out there. And you can just get in, get on the, uh, the, the computer and find it. You know, well, I'm not one of those people that are computer literate. You know what? And then you need to get in some of those other hardbound references and find your way around those. You know, uh, I did uh, go to the source of all knowledge, Google and, of course, Wikipedia. Um, and, I, and I looked up each of these Hebrew letters because I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Um, I, I did okay um, in, in the, the, the one class that we had to take when I was in seminary and the one class in Greek I did. I was, you know, an average student in there. So I, I looked them up, and it says that the pronunciation of the first letter is ALEP, A-L-E-P, um, and we're going to start right in with it. Each one of these lines would have started with that letter. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Verses 1 and 2. Now, in verse 1, it talks about way. This, this word translates from the original Hebrew into journey or pilgrimage. How blessed are those whose journey is blameless. What journey is that? Our life is the journey. Our life is that journey. You know, blessed are those whose life is blameless. How do you get that way? You know, I'm not blameless. I've made a, you know, well, where's my wife? She'll tell you. More mistakes than can be counted. You know, more mistakes than can be counted. We're a mess sometimes. I'm a mess sometimes. The word blessed in these verses talks about happy. So how happy are those whose way is blameless? How happy are those who observe his testimonies? God's word. The psalmist here is talking about asserting something of strategic importance. Our happiness is tied into valuing the word of God. That's not always the way it is in our society today. People say, well, you know, putting me under all these rules, man, brings me down. You know, brings me down. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, my, you're, you're, you're cramping my style. Really? How about if we were on a super highway, say the I-15, and there were no rules, no laws, you could drive anything you wanted from a pedal car to a Hummer, H1, the big one. There are no lanes, no barriers, just a strip of concrete, you could go as fast as you wanted, any direction you want it. No rules. That would be a mess. We need rules. We thrive within rules. Now, I know my middle schoolers would argue with me. Okay? But they thrive within rules. In fact, they, they not only thrive, they prosper in rules. They're a mess when I go, well, okay, um, today we're going to have a free reading day. What? What do you want us to do? Free reading day. What? Tell us what to 
They like to be, even though they won't admit it, they like to be told what to do. They like to have barriers. Now, they push those barriers and those borders all the time. But they like to have them. They like to have them. They're not at their best. They prosper when they have those boundaries and fences around them. They're not good when they don't have those. So blessed are those whose... Happy are those whose way, whose journey, whose pilgrimage is blameless. Blessed are those who observe his testimonies. Our society tells us that our happiness shouldn't be tied up in those things. We look at, you know, oh, your happiness, if you do this, you're going to be happy. If you win that, you're going to be happy. You know, it's all about me, 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 me. One of the worst, most vile shows on TV, I think, it's my opinion now, is Survivor. Because it's say anything, do anything to win. Lie, cheat, steal. Get ahead of everybody else. Stand on as many bodies as you need to, to be the top guy. People in our world today see God's commands as detrimental to their happiness. Oh man, those Christians, they're baptized in lemon juice. Baptized in lemon juice. They're walking around with frowns on their faces all the time, not having a good time. I can't tell you. I, I've had more fun in the, in fact, May 21st this year is my 20th anniversary, my 20th birthday as a Christian. May 21st of this year. It's been 20 years. I've never been happier in my life. And believe me, before I became a Christian, I would, you know, I, People who know me know I've been a DJ. And I, I worked in some pretty amazing clubs down in Texas in a little town we were in. I set club records for attendance. People used to come, hey, we're going to have this big party over here in this club. You need to come over. They would bid to get me in their club. May the 21st, I became a Christian. May the 22nd, I got home from that retreat. And I opened up the boxes where I kept my CDs and I had a they're still in the garage. There's about a thousand CDs in there. At that time, I didn't have a thousand, but I had five, six hundred that I would take with me when I worked. I took all the ones that had all the explicit lyrics, and there was a bunch, several hundred dollars worth. Took them out and wouldn't even throw them away. I had to break them all. I didn't know what happiness was until I became a Christian. And it wasn't bringing me down. It was making me better. I wasn't standing on a pile of bodies to get ahead of everybody else. I was picking the bodies up and helping them. Our society says that that's okay. It's not about respect anymore. It's not about respecting the person next to you. It's about stepping in front of that person to get ahead. And that's sad. That's sad. The key to happiness is to live in God's word and let his word live in us. Care for other people. Love on them. They'll know your mind by the way you love one another. Those are Jesus' words. Verse 3 says, They also do know unrighteousness. They, they walk in his ways. You have laid down your precepts that are f- to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Oh, that my ways were steadfast. 
This is him talking about himself. I wish my ways were steadfast. I'm not good at this. I'm not. I'm a mess sometimes. Especially when I'm hurt. That's why I spend time reading this book. I'm not an Old Testament guy. I'm a New Testament guy. I thought, oh man, here we go. I can preach just about anything from the, from the New Testament. Get in the Old Testament, man, I'm not comfortable there. I have to do work. But I looked at this and I went, oh, there's something special here. The people in this time, the Hebrew people that were reading this, and the children that were memorizing this, how did they get themselves right with God? They went to the temple. They made sacrifices. If they committed a sin, they did a sin sacrifice. That's how they got their relationship with God, correct? They observed God's word. They observed his laws and his commandments. There's a bunch of them. They were zealous for it. The day of preparation, Friday, right? Getting ready for the Sabbath. The women would cook all the food and get everything ready, get the house ready, all cleaned up. Because on the Sabbath, they didn't work. They didn't cook. The Sabbath was reserved for God. They had to do everything the day before and get it ready. Because as soon as sundown Friday hit, they were in the Sabbath. And they were that way all the way until sundown Saturday. You could walk from your house to the synagogue or the temple. But that was pretty much it. You couldn't, you know, any, anything that could have been considered work, you weren't allowed to do. They were zealous for this. They were careful. That's how they got themselves right with God. How do we get ourselves right with God? By having the same zeal that they had for the word and for the law for Christ. That's how we get right with God. We get right because our relationship with Christ is right. If we have that same level of zeal, we're memorizing scripture and we're holding God's word in our heart. We're being as Christ-like as we can be. We're being as Christ-like as we can be. These verses from 3 to 7 talk about praise, I think. It says, I encourage you to do what the psalmist does in these verses. Learn the language of praise by repeating the psalms. These little kids memorize this poetry for a reason. If you do this, the book of Psalms can become a wonderful part of your devotional life. Practice these psalms. There's a bunch of them. My other favorite place is Proverbs. We're not there right now. Practice the language of praise. It's funny for me to be up here and listening to the band. I never get to listen to them. I know that sounds funny because you don't play up here. But when you're standing up here behind the guitar, I hear myself. I don't hear how it sounds all together. Sitting out here, I can hear the whole blend of, of everything together. It sounds wonderful. I only hope it sounds that good when I'm playing with them. I get a chance to, to listen 
to, the, to everything blended together. Can you imagine what God hears in heaven when all of our prayers and all of our hearts are in harmony with one another? The sound must be glorious. And I know if you've ever been to the symphony, what it sounds like when they're tuning. Right before they start to play and all that wondrous music comes out. It sounds like utter chaos. I can only think that in God's ears, that's what it sounds like when we're tuning. When we're not getting it right. When we're not in unity, working together. We're creating that chaos too. It says, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Practice prayer and praise. When you pray these psalms, you will become fluent in the vocabulary of worship. I always tell the worship team that we're like butlers in the house. We're back there at the door ushering people in to God's throne. We bring people to the foot of the throne to sing praises to God. The Psalms do that. The beauty of the poetry, sometimes I think, you know, well, I wish we could build a time machine and go back in time. Well, I hope you can learn Hebrew and Greek before you go because the people back there didn't speak English. We would have a hard time. The psalmist delighted in the fact that those who walk in wholehearted obedience to the law are blessed. Wholehearted, sold out. You got it. You're living it. This prompted him to wish that he were more obedient in view of God's commands to follow his laws. So that the psalmist vowed to give thanks as he learned more and more about God's statutes. Our lives are a rehearsal. We're practicing to get it right. We're not going to get it right. We're human. We're going to stumble, trip, fall, mess up. Because we're human. We make mistakes. God knows that. He's not standing behind the door going, gotcha. We should give thanks as we strive. Have that same faith that those Old Testament folks who would be memorizing this psalm. They had faith that in keeping God's word, their relationship with God would be right. They had faith that when they went to the temple to make a sacrifice, that that would help make their relationship with God right. That when the priest would go in, the high priest would go in the Holy of Holies and submit their petitions to God, that he would come out and their relationship would be better with God. Bayet, letter 2, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it, his way, according to your word. 
This is not an easy thing. What a great question. How can a young man or how can a young person, period, keep his way pure in our society today? We're drowning in a sea of impurity. We're drowning in a sea of impurity. Everywhere we look, we find temptation to lead impure lives. Turn on the TV set. I mean, take a look at Comic-Con coverage. There are people attending Comic-Con, which is a convention, with less clothes on than they would wear at the beach. That's not good. And they think it's acceptable. They think it's okay. The psalmist here is asking a question that troubles all of us. It troubles all of us. How do we stay pure in a filthy environment? Here we are standing on the edge of a precipice and we need to get to the other side. We're wearing our best white outfit. We got our white shoes on, white socks, white slacks, and a white shirt. And we got to get to over there, but in between here and there is a mud puddle. Not just a mud puddle, a mud pit. And we might be able to roll up those pants a little bit and maybe wade in, but you know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to come along in an ATV and splatter you with mud. Somebody's going to come along and tempt you. Somebody's going to come along and, and try to make you a mess. You're going to be tempted. We can't do this on our own. We must have counsel and strength more dynamic than the tempting influences around us. And where do we find that? We find that in the Word of God. And by repeating it. And by making it part of our lives. By, by embodying it. By doing what it says. says, I, I, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hiding God's word in our heart is a deterrent to sin. This alone should inspire us to memorize scripture. But that alone isn't enough. We can memorize scripture and I'm not very good at it. I try though. In middle school now, Every week, my kids get a verse. Every Monday morning, they get a verse, the week, a verse of the week, and they memorize it. They also get a longer verse to memorize, to work on, so that periodically we go through and, we, and we've got 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 verses that we're working on. And those weekly verses and those longer verses get that word in, into their brain. Why? Well, I want you to think about a professional athlete for a second. I know it's going to be easy for Dan. A professional athlete and an amateur athlete. There's a difference between how they do what they do and their ability. An amateur athlete, let's say a tennis player, thinks about what he's going to do and does it. A professional athlete, the difference is, the professional athlete has done that move Time and time and time and time and time and time again. So that when that ball comes at the tennis player, he swings the racket and then thinks in his brain, 
How can I do that better? He doesn't have to think about it first. He does it and then thinks about it. The amateur athlete thinks about it and then does it. It's almost like a program response for that professional. We need to get that way with the word. How do you get that way? Just like every other athlete or musician or anything else in the world, you get it by practice. By doing something over and over and over and over again. Well, that sounds boring. It's God's word. When you stub your toe, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? When you get your heart broken, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? When you experience something good, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? If you practice this scripture stuff, memorizing scripture verses and do them enough and make them part of your thoughts when you stub your toe the first thing that comes to your mind is please God help me with this it's not that swear word that conjures up in the back of your throat that you hold there because you're trying to be a good Christian but you still have the thought or when your heart's broken or somebody hurts you the first thought isn't revenge or getting back at the person the first thought is please god help me through this time in my life we need to be like professional christians we need to be pros so that when those thoughts come into our mind the first thing we do is we do the action which is the right thing and then think about how can i be better it makes us kinder gentler people makes us kinder gentler people it brings us closer to god Memorization alone will not keep us from sin. We, we can't just memorize verses. It's like a singer learning all the words to a song but never singing. We must put God's word to work in our lives and make it a vital guide for everything that we do. All of our actions should be guided by God's word. Verse 12, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Most of us chafe under rules. We think they restrict us from doing what we want. At first glance, it may seem strange to hear the psalmist talk of rejoicing and following God's statutes as much as in great riches. But God's laws were given to free us to be all that he wants us to be. Be all that you can be. That was an army slogan? Yeah, be all you can be. That's what God wants for us. To be the best that we can possibly be. I know that I am better now than I was before I became a Christian. I know that my life is better. I've had some medical issues, and that's getting better, fortunately. But things are better. I'm a better person. I'm not standing on that pile of bodies. God's laws are given to free us to be all that he wants us to be. They restrict us from doing that what might cripple us and keep us from being our best. 
We're not our best when we're not working within those boundaries of God's laws. They free us so that we don't have to think about all of those things that are getting us into trouble because we're not getting into trouble. We can think about the things that we're good at. If we're living our lives according to the word, then we're not having to deal with all of those issues and trying to be a good person at the same time. God's guidelines help us follow his path and avoid paths that lead to his destruction. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I'll delight in your decrees and I will not neglect your word. Sometimes we hear people say, I just don't know what the Lord is doing. Like he owes us an explanation. He's God. He's the creator of the universe. God doesn't owe us an explanation. We're not spending time with him if we're thinking that way. It's like we think that God should consult us when stuff is going on. We have a tendency to cast aspersions upon the Lord and not to respect or fear or reverence him in the way that we should. There's a huge lack of respect and reverence, I think, in our world. We may not agree with everybody about everything, but you still need to respect the person or the office of the person. I don't agree with the politics of the president, but he's the president. His office deserves a certain level of respect. I'm sorry. Whether you like the guy or not, he's still the president. I don't like the governor. But he's the governor. He leads the state. If you don't like him, pray for him. You should be praying for him all the time. How do you help the situation get better if you're just complaining all the time? Pray for him. Pray that the Spirit would guide him. I shall delight in your statutes and I shall not forget your word. Delight in your statutes. Delight in your rules. I'm going to prosper within the boundaries you've set, Lord. The psalmist declared that a person cleanses his way, his conduct, by obeying God's word. He testified that he eternalized and rejoiced in God's word so that he might be morally pure. This one starts out, these eight verses start out with, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to God's word? And it says, I'm going to meditate on it and consider it and delight in it and I'm not going to neglect it. That's how he keeps his way pure. This is what I'm going to do. And if I stick with it, my relationship with God will be good. How do we keep our way pure today? By keeping our relationship with Christ right. By following his commands. By delighting in the things that he delighted in. By loving one another. Not neglecting God's word. Our last eight verses. I'm going to almost deal with them all as one piece. It says, do good to your servant and I will live. I will obey your word. 
Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things of your law. I'm a stranger on the earth. Don't hide your commands from me. I love that verse. I'm a stranger on the earth. That means that this guy is considering eternity. The guy that wrote this is considering eternity. Our time here is short. I used to take, find a girl in my class with the longest hair and, and, and whisper in her ear, can I, can I pull one out? And I would boing, pull a hair out. And I would grab the one end like this and I would take my hand and bring it down to the other end like this and hold it like this. And I would say, your life in eternity is like the distance across this hair. I said, in eternity is this way. I said, our life is immensely short. Eternity is immensely long. It's forever plus one day. If we want to put it in math terms. We're not here forever. We have a beginning and an end. Life is terminal. You have a birth and you will have a death. God doesn't live within those bounds. I'm a stranger on this earth. God looks at, we look at things in the little picture. We see the picture on the wall. God sees the wall, the house, the county, the state, the country, the continent, the planet, the universe. He sees the big picture. These rules, these laws, these things, these precepts, these commands are set up to help us get there. Don't live in the picture on your wall. Live for eternity. Someday, when they put your tombstone on the ground, there's going to be a date and a dash and another date. The time you spent here is the dash. That's not very long. People will spend no expense for counseling. Look at the cars that psychiatrists and psychologists drive. A half hour of psychiatry. Expense it. They spend very little expense. Yet, the greatest counsel that we can ever receive is found right here in the pages of Scripture. There's no better counsel than the Spirit of God speaking through the Word of God. There's nothing better. The psalmist asked God to open his eyes. He went to God humbly, saying, Open my eyes so that I can see the marvelous blessings Of God in the word. Help me open my heart. Help me make the connection between my brain and my heart. Some of us, you know, we we read it and we, 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 we understand it, but we don't make it part of us. We don't connect them. He hungered for the word, this, this guy. Because God curses the wicked who disobey him. He prayed that the Lord would remove those who reproached him. 
We go through life, there are people that make fun of us. You look at the lives of the apostles. Being a Christian isn't, oh, become a Christian, you'll have a wonderful life. Yeah, ask the apostles if that's true. Including John. Yeah, he died of old age, but it wasn't because they weren't trying. His life was miserable. The other guys were martyred. Crucified, hung, stoned, whatever. Ask Stephen if being a follower of Jesus was good. Yeah, it was good. Was it comfortable? No. He was martyred because he spoke Christ. Because he believed. Our life isn't going to be a marvelous, comfortable, wonderful thing. In fact, I had a pastor tell me one time, if you're feeling comfortable as a Christian, you're not getting it right. This guy is pleading to God, please curse those who disobey you. Remove those who reproach me. Take those people out of my life. This is in contrast to that. He wants to meditate on the precepts, delight in the decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Your statutes, your laws, God, your word is my delight. It keeps me on the right path. That little narrow, unrocky thing. Actually, narrow, rocky thing. Not that wide, comfortable, ten-lane highway that goes straight to hell. Not the one I want to be on. And now we get to the part that's probably the most fun part. So what? So what? What does, you know, so what? My preaching professor always told me, get to the point when you're talking that you're done and you're going to put basically rubber and wheels on what you're saying so that when people walk out the door, they got something that will keep them for the week. I even wrote it in my, see it says, so what, right there. So what? Well, I got a few things that are so what. First, we talk about God's word. We need to study it diligently. God's purpose in giving his word was to point us to himself. We are therefore to seek through his word, and this seeking is to be done wholeheartedly. We need to have the same zeal that those early Israelites had, that those early Hebrew people had in seeking God through his word. We need to have that same zeal in our lives. Sold out. Sold out for Christ. We are to look into his word and to learn its judgments. As a teacher, in your classroom, you want to have a good classroom? There have to be rules and consequences. You can have rules all day long, but if there aren't any consequences, the classroom's not going to work. There have to be consequences to the rules. Now, rules can have two kinds of consequences. You can have punishment consequences, or you can have reward consequences. If you're following the rules, there are reward consequences. You can get a reward. 
Our reward for following the rules is eternity in heaven with God. Oh, that's the one I want. And so what? We live within a set of boundaries. Have you looked at those boundaries? You have to be a nice person. You have to love one another. You have to have faith. You have to love God. You have to do that stuff in the New Testament. There's a lot of stuff in there. You don't want me to list them all. Love, joy, peace, patience, fruit of the Spirit. It's all kinds of stuff. Hey, you know what? Those aren't bad things. If i got to follow a set of rules, those are good rules to follow. What would a football game look like if there weren't any rules? Hockey? Hockey? <laughs> Without pads or helmets. I used to think, you know, old football compared to new football. When Howie Long, he's a commentator now, when he played for the Oakland Raiders, he said, I would go in and tackle a bunch of guys and throw out all the guys that didn't have the football. Okay. It, you can't do that anymore. They've changed the rules. They've put different rules in place to make it safer for the guys that are playing the game. You know, you got the old people, well, they, you know, they're not playing the same game that they played back. Yeah, the guys are living longer now. They're not getting game-ending injuries like they were back then. You still have a few, but not as many. Their lives are better because of the rules. And hockey is still hockey. The second thing, we obey his commands. The duty of obedience is set forth in these verses in several ways. Walking in the law of the Lord and in his ways. Keeping his testimony. Taking heed to your ways to make sure they correspond to the teaching of God's word. Obeying the law. Obeying God's law. Following his commands. I look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I skipped a couple, I know. I have trouble with a couple of those. I look at those. I always tell my kids, they're like a set of mirrors. They're not for use to, like, oh, you're not being, you're not doing that fruit of the Spirit. You're not doing that. No, 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 no. They're not there for you to judge somebody else with. They're a set of mirrors for you to look at yourself. And I always tell them, if you look in that mirror, whose face is looking back at you? If it's your own face, that's not good. If it's Christ's face, then you're getting there. I look at patience. Patience is not one of my places where I'm... Self-control sometimes, not one of my better places either. The last one, the third one, not, not the last one, but the third one, is to hide God's word in our hearts. It means that we need to store it in our minds and treasure it in our affections with confidence that it will fortify us against sin. It'll fortify us against sin. It'll build these big walls up around us against sin. Can sin breach the walls of a fort? Absolutely. Forts can be breached. 
why we don't build a lot of them anymore. Sin can still get in. But it's harder. You're always going to be a human until the day you pass from this world into the next. But by putting God's word in your heart, by making it part of your life, by making it who you are, by making it that automatic response to situations that you go through, good and bad, oh, I want to thank God for that. Wow. Amen. This great thing just happened. Ooh, I just got a new job. No, I didn't actually, but I just got a new job. I want to thank God. Ooh, this bad thing happens. Or, oh, this person hurt my feelings. Or, oh, that person did that. I want to pray that God will help me through this situation or God will help change that other person's heart. G. Campbell Morgan was a British evangelist, preacher, and leading Bible scholar. He's also the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London from 1904 to 1919 and then 33 through 43. He summarizes this verse this way. The best book and the best place for the best purpose that this, that this Psalm 119. It's the best book and the best place for the best purpose. God's word is important. That's why it's the biggest chapter, the biggest verse in the book. I challenge you to consider memorizing at least a couple of verses every week. Even though I'm not very good at it, I still do it. I still do it. And every once in a while I get one that sticks. And I don't always remember the citation of the verse. I remember the verse, but don't ask me where it came from. That's what Google's for. It's sad to me that we're living in a time when people no longer make this part of their spiritual practice because it is such a wonderful thing to do. Take a verse that speaks to you particularly. Find it. Google it. It'll tell you where it is. Write it down on a 3 by 5 card. Make sure you get it right. Put them up on the fridge. Put them on your computer. Put, make, them your, make them your screensaver. Dashboard of your car. Places where you'll see them. Before you'll know it, you'll have a heart full of the word. And if you make them part of your life, you'll also have a life that reflects that word. If you're not sure where the verses are located... Like I said, you can always Google them. You can always Google them. And finally, zeal for the law. The Hebrew people had an amazing relationship with the law, the kind of which we should mimic. We should have our relationship with Christ be the same zealous relationship that they had for the law. Now, just because Christ came along, he made that ultimate sacrifice. He said, I fulfilled the law. Fulfilling the law didn't mean that the law went away. The law is still there. He didn't take the law away from the people. He just said that they no longer had to use the law to get their relationship right with God. That's what he meant by fulfilling the law. You want to get your relationship right with God, you get it through me now. He went to the cross to save us from our sin. He made the ultimate sacrifice, the sin sacrifice. He spilled his blood 
on the cross. So that we no longer have to, if you are a Gentile, how many people in here have Jewish roots? Not many. If you were a Gentile, how did you get right? You didn't. If you were a Gentile, you couldn't go to the temple to make a sacrifice. You weren't allowed. In fact, you couldn't, you could only get so far into the temple, the outer courts, as a Gentile. If the, if you could even get that far. Or you had to convert to Judaism. When Christ hung on the cross, that curtain was torn. We no longer need that great high priest to go into the Holy of Holies. We can go directly to God. That law was fulfilled. Those sacrifices no longer need to be made. Christ made that sacrifice for you. And the cool part of it is, he made it for everybody. Everybody. Jew and Gentile. It's no longer reserved. It's open and free for anybody. And I pray, I pray that if you don't have Christ as Lord and Savior in your heart, that you get him there. That you get him there. Don't look at the little picture of your life. Look at eternity. Look at eternity. And Father God, I'm so thankful for the privilege of being able to bring the message today. Lord, I hope and I pray that we can live lives worthy of you, changed lives in which we've taken your word and we've made it part of us and part of who we are, part of how we live our lives. Give us the dedication and love for you, Lord, that the people of Israel had in the time of the Old Testament. Father God, I pray and I'm thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us all. Help us to be grateful and thankful people. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.